few minutes. We're going to put off Cal for a couple of minutes. Clips of the week. Are yeah, you trying? A very, very special event. Are you inferring there's an actual cow here? So in that theater room. Theater of the mind. If you're following the theater of the mind, in that room we have a donkey, a cow, and an eagle. Correct. Along with Michael and Hanson. And Gladys. And Gladys. Our harpist. Our World War One vet harpist. <laughs> that is correct. That's quite the room over there. All right. So <laughs> if Mark Leibovich had only written this town, he would be a hero to us. It is an incredible book about the truth about Washington, D.C. that should be required reading for every American of all ages. But Mark has also recently written a really interesting book about the NFL and its troubles. It is entitled Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times, and Mark Leibovich joins us now. It is great to have you back on the Armstrong and Getty Show, Mark. Thanks. It's good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, yeah, it's it's absolutely our pleasure. So, now, Jack has little kids, so he has an excuse. Mm-hmm. But I, Joe, have grown <laughs> kids and have been a football freak for many, many years. The kind of guy yeah. who watches my favorite team, then watches the second half again, and watches teams mm-hmm. I'm mildly interested in, until mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And my mm-hmm. my interest is just waning. I don't get the idea I'm alone. You're not alone. I mean, I think the league is worried about um, the likes of you. And look, I'm probably in the same category. I mean, I, I will, I, you know, my kids are teenagers, so they want a lot of it. They want any excuse not for me to have anything to do with them. Uh, <laughs> so that sort of works well. But if they, you know, so if there's a game on and it's a good game, I'm pretty happy. So I'm going to watch. I'm going to be like any number of people, a lot of a lot of the drug addicts in the United States who are is being served by the gr- drug kingpin that is the uh, National Football League, because, I mean, this is, look, it's still a football-addicted country. I mean, 75 of the, or 77 of the top 100 top-rated shows in America last year were football games. Wow. And even this last weekend, the top five most top-rated shows were football games. So we love football, but you're right. I mean, there is something about the game that in the last few year, a few years has worn people down, uh, whether it's a lot of the off-field stuff. There's just been a lot of non-football stories that, have really kind of grinded down with people. And um, also some of the games can be really, really boring. Um, I mean, there's no question about it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think the league is, is worried about, you know, people like us, and they should be. How worried behind the scenes are they about the ratings? I mean, do they think, ah, oh, it's just a blip, or are they really, really panicking? I, I don't know if they're panicking, but they certainly have noticed it. I mean, it's, um, I mean, look, the, the first weekend of the season, it, it sort of was an upturn. So they, they I guess they're all up 20-something percent. Last Sunday's games were up 20-something percent over the previous season, um, although it's always very skewed because I think that last year around this time there was there was that hurricane. There were a couple of hurricanes. So there was a lot going on. Um, but, look, it's a very short-term focus league, which is one of the problems. I and mean, I think having gotten to know a lot of the owners, a lot of people who run the league, and being pretty unimpressed with, with them, um, you, you realize that they just sort of go from crisis to crisis, even if that's one one bad week of ratings or one season of ratings. Um, the fact is, it is down a little bit. There could be a lot of reasons for it. And I guess we'll sort of learn this year and maybe next whether this is a trend or a phase. What else uh, left you less than impressed about yeah, the owners? Expound on not being impressed by the owners. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's pretty self-explanatory. I mean, these are people who you probably, other than maybe a small handful of them, you probably wouldn't pick most NFL owners to be on your corporate board. Um, I mean, if you were like working for Apple or Federal Express or Bank of America or some great American um, institution, you would just not 
uh, pick these guys. I mean, they, they tend to be very short-sighted. They tend to be very parochial. They, they care about their teams, obviously. Um, yeah, a lot of them are, are, you know, in litigation with all kinds of people. I mean, you don't get, become billionaires by by sort of having kind of an easy go of it. So I, I just thought that, that many of them are, I mean, first of all, it's entirely white. The, the ranks of the owners are like 31 of the 32 um, owners are white. They're almost entirely male. Um, many of them, like I would say about half of them are over the age of 70, some over the age of 80. So it doesn't lend itself to a kind of thinking outside the box. And Are we talking um, about the NFL owners or the Supreme Court? I got I got lost there for a second. <laughs> hey, they got well, girls they, on the Supreme Court. <laughs> they, they, have, they have something in common, which is that neither of them have to run for re-election. And, um, you know, in the case of NFL owners, I mean, it's like where I live in Washington, if, if Dan Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, had to run for re-election, I, I tend to doubt he'd be in double digits at all. Right. Um, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's, he is like a, a point of like a rare point of agreement between Democrats and Republicans in the city I live in. So, look, I don't know. I mean, it, some I liked. I mean, I some of them are fun. I mean, Jerry Jones is an undeniably fun guy, um, and I appreciate you know making himself interesting. But no, I mean, I, I do think that the league will probably survive, but I think it'll survive you know because of the greatness of the game and, and sort of in spite of the people who run it. Mark Leibovich is on the line. Big game, the NFL in dangerous times. Is there a number one problem, or are there several fighting, vying for that title? Um, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I think existential issue one would probably be concussions right. and health and safety. Got to be. Because youth, particip- yeah, youth participation is down, um, and you sort of wonder where the where the you know, where the work pool is going to come from in 20, 30 years. And, and also, look, it, it, it's... Um, there's something about all the information that's coming out about the research done on players' brains after they die, um, the condition of a lot of great Hall of Fame players. I mean, part of the reporting in Big Game was just sort of walking around through all the set pieces and the, the sort of pageantry of the NFL, whether it's the draft or the Hall of Fame inductions or even like the the um, you know the Super Bowl, just things like that, and just seeing how um, seeing your heroes growing up basically and. And just sort of talking to them and, and just remembering all the great memories they gave us, but also seeing what the game did to them. And, um, you know, it's a pretty, it was a pretty powerful thing to watch. Sure. Well, things, things change and, and go away. We always use the example of heavyweight boxing because my, my oldest is a third grader. And when I was in third grade, every boy in the class would have been yeah. able to tell you who the heavyweight champion of the world is. Now, if I said that to my yeah. son, he'd say, what's the heavyweight champion of the world? So, who, uh, who is the, Wait, who is the heavyweight champion? Now, that's actually I have no idea. I have, I have no idea. But, but there I, are probably 11 of them, but too. My friends and I all know, maybe it's, maybe it's where I live now or where I lived before, but um, my friends and I all had NFL gear and stuff, and I don't see much NFL gear around my kid's school. Interesting. I mean, you know, you do realize, I mean, actually, now that you mention it, I mean, my kids are, are teenagers, and, and you do see a lot more NBA stuff. Um, you see a lot of soccer stuff. Um, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, those are the two sort of sports you hear like, sort of as a challenger to the NFL. I mean, soccer we've been hearing about for years. I still don't see it getting the no. kind of real traction. No, you got to have a, you got to have a score. You got to have a score at the end you, of the you game. You got to have a score, right? Maybe <laughs> we're just like shallow, simplistic Americans, but I just, I just need more. Like, oh, this is the greatest game ever. It was nil-nil. Yeah. I'm like, sorry, man. I mean, like, I'm sure there were, I don't know. I, I just can't, I just can't do it. But look, the NBA's had a great few years. They're global. 
They can grow really, really fast. Um, and they seem to be a league that's done a lot right. And, and I think if you compare Roger Goodell to Adam Silver, I mean, uh, I'm going to guess if you did a secret poll of NFL owners, um, I would say a majority of them would probably take um, Adam Silver as their commissioner if they could. But, look, the NFL is a status quo league, and, and Roger Goodell is familiar. So. so, listen, this is a question that deserves an hour-long answer, but we don't have time right now, although we are hoping to drag you onto our long-form podcast at some twi- time soon. Yeah. Um, Politics in the NFL, it's an impassioned time. Identity politics, very, very hot and also very, very divisive. Does the NFL have an insurmountable problem with a majority black employee base and a majority white audience? <laughs> it's a great question. I mean, look, that, that's been true for a while. I mean, this is not a new phenomenon. And there has been a majority black workforce and majority white, um, certainly ownership force and, you know, and coach force and, and all, you know, all sorts. Of, I mean, the imbalances have been pretty obvious. Um, but I think what's been different about the last few years is politics has invaded football in ways that it hasn't before. And I think traditionally, and I come from come to this somewhat from a political perspective. I mean, the left has always been more inclined to be suspicious of the NFL for the, you know, for reasons of violence or the over-the-top patriotism inherent to the game. I, I think in the last few years, I mean, you know, led in many ways by our president, the, the right has become very suspicious of the league as like a sort of an example of permissive liberalism, as an example of a league that's just too politically correct, that gives players like Colin Kaepernick uh, too much control to, or, you know, whoever's protesting the anthem, too much control to sort of do as they please. And you know, of course, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job right now, so you can go all over the place with this. But no, I mean, it, it isn't. I mean, Jerry Jones, Roger Goodell are always saying football is a respite from your daily troubles, and one of those daily troubles and daily hassles is, is politics. And right now, you just can't escape it. So that is. Um, I mean, I think there's probably more awareness among the players, but I think the, the basic setup of of you know black workforce, white ownership force um, has been there for years, and sure. I think people might be becoming more aware of it. Well, and the times are different. Just the approach to, yeah. you know, identity politics are vastly different, as you know. Mm-hmm. Hey, before we use up all the time, we've got to bring up This Town, which I realize is not the book you're pushing right now. But we mention that book on the air all the time. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, all, all the time we reference it because the, <laughs> the, the incestuous relationship between politicians, the media, and... Yeah. And and all the money washing around the lobbyists and all that yeah. sort of stuff. We just found that book so freaking fantastic. And what I'd like to know: what year did you write that book? Uh, Twenty thirteen. Okay, yeah, because it starts with Tim Russert's funeral. I remember. So, right. um, is is DC more this towny now or less this towny now? <clears throat> That's a great question. Well, first of all, I wanted to escape that, so I went into the NFL, and I realized that the NFL is just as much of a swamp as Washington <laughs> in a different kind of way. So let, let's let's assert that. I, I think, look, the swamp is alive and well. I mean, under Trump, I mean, he, he did this, you know, we're going to drain the swamp thing. But to me, I mean, there's not a lot of people starving in the swamp these days. And I think, if anything, um, you know, Trump has sort of made it more of a gold-plated hot tub than the swamp. But people are doing really, really well. I mean, people are as rich as they've ever been, and, and I think it's fat and happy. And I think a perfect example of that is uh, Senator McCain's um, funeral last weekend, was, which I was I was at, and there were immediate echoes of the Tim Russert thing um, 10 years ago. And yeah, again, it's sort of it's the same usual suspects. Obviously, you know, when a giant dies, they sort of convene, but it definitely mimicked that. So uh, to me, Washington's as fat and happy as ever. It's just the characters change. And, and look, I don't doubt that the, 
um, resentment that, that the country has for Washington was justified and also sort of led to the dynamic that, that swept Donald Trump into office a couple of years ago. But I also don't think it's changed very much since he's come in. Well, at the same time, though, and, and somewhat ironically, people have more and more of their identity tied up in their politics while they look almost exclusively to Washington, D.C., as opposed to, uh, you know, local state uh, politics, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, you have people practically worshipful of their side, um, and, and it's as grubby and disgusting as it's ever been. It really bothers me. It, it, I think it bothers a lot of people. There's, there's no doubt about it. And I think, um, look, it's as tribal as ever. And again, there's, there's a lot of parallels to football. I mean, uh, I remember during the deflate gate thing and, and at, at risk of alienating every single potential reader in this audience, I can <laughs> say that I, I grew up a Patriots fan and I still have that disease and I know everyone hates us and I apologize. And I, I try to be one of the good ones, but I mean, during the flight gate, it was interesting. Like I would go up to New England for like a couple of weeks on <clears throat> vacation in the summer. And that was the biggest sports story like that summer at all. And again, everyone was so dug in and they thought the league had totally screwed everyone. And it was like the only story out there. And then you realize that, oh, okay, if you ask 87% of the rest of the country who root for other teams, their views skew accordingly. And that's sort of the same left-right thing. It's like, okay, if this is where my team is, I'm going to like take this position or be on this team. And, and it's great all, example. It's a very tribal term. Yeah. Great example. Yeah, but your team is awful. And so is the other team. <laughs> talk and you about ought to politics. wake up. Yeah, talking yeah, about well, politics. Yeah. 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 That's true. That's true. No, it's totally true. Look, I just love football and I love politics, but they both can be really, really tiresome after a while. You know, watching like football better right now. <laughs> watching McCain's funeral, the one line from this town popped into my head. They're in on the joke. We're all patriots. I mean, I, I thought that yeah. a couple of times as I saw people sitting together in the pews. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, look, I, I do think that, that in the case of McCain's funeral, I mean, I think that dynamic was very, very strong, but I also think that you, know, you can't underestimate the, I guess, the signal or the protest there was to, you know, what what the current president is, has done, and the fact that he wasn't invited, I think, was was pretty, pretty telling. But I, I think no, look, it was a really powerful moment, and I think I was sort of surprised that that President Trump didn't do more to sort of say, look, hey, I'm not part of that world. I never wanted to be part of that world, and that's what I ran on, and that's what I'm still doing. And I think he probably could have. Made a lot of political hay out of that, but uh, you know he, he didn't. But he didn't listen to me, um, and that's fine. Final so, question. Uh, yeah, it was quite a yeah. Sorry, ahead. Mark. Uh, f- final yeah. question for Mark Leibovich, author of uh, Big Game: The NFL in Dangerous Times. I consider the forward pass to be an abomination. Your, your thoughts? I <laughs> know. <laughs> uh, I love the forward pass. <laughs> I will totally defend the forward pass. Mark, it's great to talk to you. I really enjoyed it. Let's do it again soon. Thanks, guys. You know, it'd be an interesting experiment. Is show. One of the most compelling games from 1978 to a modern audience. I don't think they could sit through it. Hmm. Back when uh, rushing for 100 yards was the key right. to winning a game. Whereas now, nobody even thinks about that. It's all about how many yards you pass. Three yards in a cloud of right, dust. Right, right, right. You know, we didn't get cha- a chance to uh, I don't think, talk about. I don't think young people keep, could even watch the NFL from just not that many years ago. Yeah, I don't remember it that well, but I bet you're right. Well, statistically, I mean, there's a reason that all the passing records get broken just year after year after year after year. We didn't get a chance uh, to talk about how the book deals with uh, old, what's his name? Uh, Dean, little Dean, little Dino Spanos, uh, owner of the Chargers who moved him to L.A. I guess the owners didn't like that. I didn't read that section of the book yet. And they kind of belittle him. Little Deanie, little Dino. What an idiot move. He killed the Chargers. (laughs)
Oh, that Dino, was Dino the, from the, Flintstones. The dog slash dinosaur? Yeah. You don't want a dinosaur for a pet. <laughs> if you can watch the Flintstones, you could sit through an NFL game from the 70s. Too slow-paced. <laughs> Barney needs to do more. We need more, Barney. Yeah, my kids kind of like the Flintstones for a little bit, but you're right. Too slow-paced by modern standards. They like like the pterodactyl being the dishwasher parts yeah, of that. Good stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. fun. Good stuff. The giant uh, rack of ribs. Hilarious. But, but the, but the Tips s- over the car. The slowly unfolding marital strife, not so much. <laughs> Fred! <laughs> Uh, Kid Clips of the Week coming up in moments. Yes, on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Sounds like Mark Leibovich wrote this book because he wanted to go meet a bunch of his favorite players. I wondered that to a certain extent. You get tired of what you're doing and you think, hey, I'll, I'll, um, I'll write a book about the NFL and I'll get to hang out with a team, my favorite team for the entire year, in the locker room in the owner's booth. Yeah. Which would work. I could see that. I don't know. It also is a uh, expose on what's going on in the NFL, which is the most, as he mentioned, by far the number one TV show in America. Now, their billing was up last year, despite the ratings being down. Although, being in the industry, I am aware of the phenomenon that uh, billing trails ratings. You can go off the ratings cliff, and billing will continue for a little while. Then it collapses. Correct. So, we'll see if that ever happens. All right. Well, that was stimulating. Now, let's take a fond look back at the week that was. It's Cal Clips of the Week. It is the first example of a Fortune 500 CEO has stepped down. The main thing that the Democrats are for is being anti-Republican and anti-Trump, and the main thing Republicans are for is being anti-Democrat and anti-CNN, and neither of these things are really worth getting out of bed in the morning for. My job here is not to psychoanalyze, it's to describe what happened. These accounts are very foreign to me. We have a chance to restore some sanity in our politics. This is a true story, everybody. Um, you know, I was booted from the Magic Kingdom. This is my new first date question. How likely are you to yell at me in public? I just told you a piece of news that ended with a murder. And you love the irony so much, you applaud it. Uh, depends how skinny your jeans are. We can talk about that later. Tight. I wear them tight. I leave nothing yeah. to the imagination. Oh, my. I've asked you a no. simple question, why is it that and you're you not call, answering Why is it that you question. don't call Donald Or the cute girl next door one. What was her name? Maybe I have oh, her. Oh, she was so cute. I mean, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Kavanaugh firing back at allegations of high school sexual misconduct and Netflix destroying parents' relationship with their kids. I want to hear how Kavanaugh responds to something this vague. Pathetic. Coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. So I, ha- I didn't realize the ratings were up uh, first week. I know the first I'm game. I'm surprised to hear that. First game they were down. The season opener was down, yep. but the first weekend was up. But as he did say, last year there was a hurricane. So it might have been on 
you know, well, I'll have to let it see, let it play out. Yeah. Couple of hurricanes. How about news now with Marsha Phillips? Well, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh is rejecting a reported allegation of sexual misconduct in the high school. He has issued oh. is vague, anonymous, it, it, beyond vague, a no detail, weird, vague reference to maybe something happened. What the hell? In a statement today, Kavanaugh said he categorically and unequivocally denies the allegation. He adds, I did not do this back in high school or at any time. So did they hit him with a more specific thing? That's what it sounds like. Because was it The Guardian? I read that earlier. I think it was The Guardian that was reporting it was something to do with a a girl. They shut the door to the bedroom and pretended to lock her in there and she felt threatened or something felt uncomfortable then they opened it and she went out okay great the allegation reported this never came up in the middle in the previous however many times the fbi's looked into his life the allegation reportedly surfaced in a letter that was sent to congressional democrats a letter from an unknown person in california has been forwarded to the fbi by senator diane feinstein okay this ron this is from ronan farrow's twitter a woman alleged to two Democrats that during high school, Brett Kavanaugh held her down and attempted to force himself on her, placing a hand over her mouth and turning up music to conceal her protests. How the politicians responded is now a controversy, he says. Well, and how this is just coming out now? But why? Why? I don't quite get why Ronan Farrow has this information. Why did not Diane Feinstein not give us that information? Yeah, that's astonishing. And... I don't know if you've ever been part of one of these background checks and know how thorough they are, but the ones he's undergone are incredibly rigorous. And and, and decades worth. And he's been on the second highest court in the land. And now all of a sudden, in the days before he's going to get on the Supreme Court, this comes out. Well, now, to be be, uh, extra, extra, extra charitable. So there have been a number of cases. um, uh, Bill Cosby's one of them. There have been a couple of them recently where... Um, people had kept their mouths shut for years, but now that somebody was about to blank, they just couldn't take it. Sure. They couldn't take it that they were going to make this movie, get this award, whatever it was. Right. They finally had to come right. out and say something. Yeah. So it could point. be something like that. You know, my whole life I've kept my mouth shut, but now he's going to be on the Supreme Court. He t- you know, I've, 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 you know, I've thought about this every day of my life ever since high school, right. since even then. Well, yeah, and, and with all due respect to that, it would be so easy. It would be effortless to cook up one of these allegations. That's the problem. For everybody. That's and, the problem. And it's undeniable. It's unprovable and undeniable. That's the problem. Even if this happened... We'd have to go with eight Supreme Court justices till they die off one by one, eventually none. Even, even if this happened, if you can stop a Supreme Court justice from ending up on the court... From uh, from a claim from a gazillion years ago, and a he said, she said, you take her word for it, we'll never have another Supreme Court justice. This will just be never-ending right. in the blood sport of politics. I don't, I don't know how you handle this. I think you handle it exactly the way it's going to be handled. It'll be in the news cycle for a little bit, then they'll vote for him, and he'll be on the court. I don't think there's any other alternative. Especially since they were they were not even adults at the time, because that adds a different legal thing to it. Yeah, and listen, there is never any excuse for any sort of violence toward oh, no. women. Or, uh, but no, if he it, did what she if says, there was some alcohol involved, you're talking about what a kid did when they were drunk. 35 years ago? 36 years ago? Oh, come on. No, if he did that, I don't think that's cool, but I, I don't... Again... If you can stop any, if you can stop a person's career with that, 
from that long ago, we're all doomed. Yeah. Governor Jerry Brown is bashing President Trump's record on the environment during his Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco. He said the president's going to be remembered for his views on climate change and the environment in a most negative way. Very highly destructive. So I think he'll be remembered um, on the path he's now. Um, I don't know. 